Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the main point. It's the midweek main point this week as we are recording on Wednesday, September the 22nd, 2021. We're uh, glad that you're here with us here at Rose of Sharon Baptist Church. I am associate pastor here at uh, ROSBC. My name is Jonathan Hendrickson, and I'm joined with the rest of the pastoral staff here. Uh, that would include Jeremiah Custer, our youth pastor, Blake Flincham, our children's pastor, and our senior pastor, of course, Jeff McCarthy. And we are looking, um, we're continuing a look into these aspects of agape, uh, agape love, or this or God love. And last week, we spent um, a, a good deal of time looking at uh, what it means to love your enemies. Um, and we even discovered that the Old Testament says nothing about hating your enemies. That's something that was added in by, by, by some of the Pharisees and such. And Jesus called them out about that. Um, Jesus said that you've heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to love your enemies um, because there's no place where it says to hate your enemy. And so, uh, but in addition, though, he does say with that to love your neighbor. And uh, what does it mean to love your neighbor? We've talked uh, in here at times about what it means to love a brother um, inside the church. And certainly Jesus has called us to love one another. And I think when he says to love one another, he's specifically talking about the love that we share in fellowship as Christian believers. But let's make no mistake, he also says to love your neighbor. The question might be, the same question that this man, this young man, asked Jesus might be the same question that we would ask. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Um, Mr. Rogers would say my neighbor is the person who lives in my neighborhood, right? And uh, who, who, is in my, who is in my immediate context. Those people maybe in my community are my neighbors. Uh, when we hear neighbor, sometimes we think of like maybe our next door neighbor, the person who lives on either side of us. But what does Jesus mean when he says, love your neighbor? Um, that's the sort of the question we're going to explore today. And the question really you explored in the message as well, Jeff, in a message entitled questions about loving your neighbor, right? And the, the central text was this Luke 10, 29. And it says, but he wanting to justify himself. Now that he is not Jesus. This, this he is this, this young man Jesus is speaking to. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the first point that Jeff, you brought up is that the question when we ask, well, at times when we ask, who is my neighbor? Is it really that we are like this man attempting to justify our inaction in loving our neighbor? Mm. Because, because when we say, well, who is my neighbor? Does that include that guy? Um, because I don't really want to reach out to that guy. And if he's not in the category neighbor, then I'm not obligated by this verse to reach out to that guy. Right. And I think I think to some degree, that's probably what this guy was doing. Right. I mean, Jesus even says that. He, in order to justify himself, asks, who is my neighbor? Well, and it was, like I was saying uh, as I developed the message, uh, you know, Jesus has already made the proclamation at the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount earlier in Luke, around chapter 6. So this is probably weeks, days following. And, of course, his enemies get together and the people that are questioning him, the scholars, the rabbis, are all talking. He's this made this stir and so i'm sure this point was brought up that you, this guy said this 
And so maybe this guy is coming back now and, and thinking about it, and uh, he's wanting to justify himself. So that they would want to justify their teaching, like love your neighbor, hate God. Now, there's no proof that happened. I can't really say say that, that did, but just using your common sense, it probably did. And so, so now he's coming in, and um, his his real question to, to begin with was a question about how to obtain eternal life. Right, and. And um, when we talk about loving our neighbor um, and, 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 and loving our enemies, one of the things that, that kind of stands out here to me is, along those same lines, is that when he says, you're saying, well, maybe he had heard that Jesus was going around saying, love your enemies, right? Yeah, it's, so like I was saying, uh, um, his original question was about eternal life, like, uh, you know, what do I have to do? Mm-hmm. And to obtain eternal life, and right, right. And this is a lawyer. You tell me. Yeah, this is a lawyer talking to Jesus. This lawyer is, uh, you know, he's an expert in the law. And um, so Jesus, well, what do you, what do you say? How do you read it? How do you interpret? It? Right. How do you apply it? And so mm-hmm. then he quotes the Shema, you know, love the Lord your God of all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And um, which is interesting because love your neighbor as yourself is not part of the Shema. That's something that no, Jesus they actually added to it, which made me start thinking. Well, why did he add that? Because mm-hmm. Uh, that maybe he's following up on that. Okay, who is this? He, that's what's eating at him. Who is my neighbor? Mm-hmm. All right. So then, uh, uh, so Jesus said, "Okay, we'll go ahead and do it." You know, and so the guy's like, "Okay." So obviously, he's not doing it. Mm-hmm. None of us can. None of us can do it. We're going to talk about the first part uh, this coming Sunday, but but it's impossible for us in right. ourselves to do this perfectly without sin. And so he's wanting to justify himself. So then he asked this question, who is my neighbor? So the only reason why he would ask that in order to justify himself is obviously he hasn't been fulfilling that second part that he added uh, to, to this thing to attain the trial. Right. But what's kind of funny to me, Jeremiah, when I was thinking about this and as you were preaching it, is let's say this lawyer, uh, this, this man of the law, um, is familiar with what Jesus said in Luke 6 where he said, I tell you to love your enemies. If Jesus is saying to love your enemies, then then like why even ask who my neighbor is? <laughs> like if, if I'm supposed to love the people who are most antagonistic to me, then doesn't it sort of stand to reason that I'm also supposed to love everybody else? Yeah, and Jesus does this with the parables. Um, he and actually Luke uh, is famous. Luke 18 has another parable, one of my favorite parables, where it says that the uh, the Pharisee seeking to justify himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he uses that language, and I'm like, what, is that? what does that mean, mm-hmm. seeking to justify himself? And so Jesus uses these intentionally to show uh, that, that they can't justify themselves, mm-hmm. that if they try to justify themselves, they'll end up uh, realizing that they're a greater sinner than they, than they even know. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, if, if he, had, he, he doesn't have access to Luke at the time, but if he had heard Jesus say, love your neighbor, this is a dumb question. Because it's like, oh. Right, or if you heard you say, love your enemies, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry, sorry, yeah. love your enemies, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This there, would be a dumb question. It Jesus. would be. Uh, because if, if Jesus is saying, love your enemies, what more loophole can you look for? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it gets back to your prejudices, too. It does. If my enemy is the same color as me or the same interest as me, I might tolerate him more than an enemy that may be a different color or a different religion. And I'm like... 
Ooh, okay. So I can love, I can maybe go love and tolerate this one, but I'm not going to go love and tolerate that. How much, how much, um, that, that's a good question. I was going to talk about the Samaritans. Well, I was going to talk about that, about but like how much, how much, um, in, in this day and time, how much, uh, interracial or, uh, uh inter, like, uh, from between nations, between races and things like that, how much angst is there really? Is there, it, it, I mean, do we understand that there was quite a bit of angst between, like, say, Jews and non-Jews? Is there, is there yeah, a lot I mean, of... Yeah, the Romans there? accused the Jews of hating everybody. Oh, really? Except for Jews. And that's why they were so antagonistic against them, because they did have a sense of super, uh, superiority about them, that we're God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. And then they separated themselves, mm-hmm. and we see this whole hierarchical uh, thing where the Pharisees, the scribes, all these people were like... They didn't want to even be around the common people, and that's where Jesus went to the common Jews, mm-hmm. and even the Galileans. They, you know, they, you know, they, they looked down on. So, right, uh, it's just like our society today. I mean, sure. Let's let's just be honest. I mean, when you said Rock, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the thought that came to my mind was uh, Eddie Murphy doing, <laughs> you know, Mr. Rogers on Saturday Night Live, and you're like, it, it just completely flips the switch, like. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I have a whole group of people living near me that's my neighbors, too. And I don't look at them as my neighbor. And that's right. the whole thing. They just weren't yeah. looking at them as, 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 as like, like me. But this isn't something, Blake, that, that, that should have been foreign to them. I mean, Jeff points out in his message of Leviticus 19, 33-34, where as part of the law, it says, don't take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them, he says, treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I mean, that's pretty cut and dry language, is it not? Yeah, and um, you would think that, you know, logically they would look and they would all, when they look at stories like how God brought the Israelites out of uh, out of Egypt into uh, the promised land, you know, it all... They would point towards his grace, you know, his unmerited effect, you know, his sure. provision, and uh, how he just, you know, he was just good to them in so many ways. But I guess the pride got to him of, you know, being their chosen people in the Old Testament time. Right. And so, do just, you think that same kind of pride that we see? I mean, it's easy to point fingers at the Jews here and say, "Well, hey, you're you're completely ignoring the law that God spoke to you. These are clear commands that God told you." And you're acting like you're something special, and God, you know, and that you're supposed to be set apart from everybody else, and you're supposed to not, you know, when God clearly said treat everybody like like they're native native born to you. Um, but do you think do you see that same sort of attitude sometimes displayed in the church? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, to go to another parable in Luke in the prodigal son story. I think you know when we come to Jesus, we're like the younger son. But after we've been a Christian a while, sadly, we've almost become like the older son mm. and start to have like this sense of uh, uh, holier than thou. Or a sense of entitlement. Or a sense of entitlement. Yeah. And, yeah. But, I can see that. And I think sometimes... So, so if we took this... So if we took this... Like the Levitical language here that I just read about, mm-hmm. where it says, Israelites, you are supposed to treat everybody else as though they're native-born Israelites. Does that mean that we as born-again Christians should treat people who are yet born, yet to, 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 to trust Jesus, should we treat them as though they are born-again Christians? Not, not giving them the same privileges and such, but should we love on them as though they're, as though they're one of the kingdom? 
can you take that language and, and extrapolate it that way? What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like to have, like, we're going to treat our Christian brothers this way and treat the world this way. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just weird. That That's more cult-like to me than it is. But isn't that true? what happens a lot? Yeah, I mean, I see it a lot. Um, and then, like, I also see... I think sometimes people look at me if I treat a non-Christian the same way I'm treating a Christian, and they're like, why Why are you treating them the same way as me? And they look at me like I'm doing something wrong. Uh, when I, I actually believe that, I know there's some texts that say, love your brother and treat treat the ones inside uh, with, or, or treat them nice. But there's never a text that says, treat them nice and treat them different. It's just talking about two different situations. Treat your brother nice. Treat the, the one who is not yet a brother nice. Treat them the same way. Uh, it's almost like love your enemy and love your neighbor. Kind of, kind of mm -hmm. saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. Treat them the same way. Uh, and all, all of them you're supposed to treat how you want to be treated. That's the golden rule. And uh, Matthew 5. I, think. I can't yeah. quite remember where it's at in Scripture. Maybe y'all can help me out. But, you know, I think it's Paul that talks about being gentle among unbelievers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's something you can put, and that's in the New Testament too. That maybe can correlate over. Um, you're supposed to be gentle and loving among unbelievers. We're actually commanded to do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, to be honest, the way we treat people expresses who our God is. Mm -hmm. So, if I'm treating people that aren't Christians uh, as kind. Of, with condemnation or, or judgmentalism, then they're seeing a judgmental con con condemning God. But if I if I treat them the opposite of what they expect me to, mm -hmm. then they're like, well, ho, ho, you know, it, it just it causes them to stop and think that you know, yeah, he he he's he's treating me with respect and all. I don't agree with him, maybe, but mm -hmm. but at least at least we can still have a, a somewhat of a a way to connect and talk and relate because uh, our whole point is being the people of God is we're we're out there we're not trying to draw people attention to ourselves we're trying to draw attention through us back to God right and we're trying to say hey you know regardless of what you look like where you came from I'm here to help you and if there's anything I can do for you and that's what our goal is as Christians you know it on one hand um, we don't want to say that we don't want to make we don't make it want to sound like there's no distinction between a Christian and a non-Christian. No, there is. And the, there's yeah. certainly a distinction, right? But he says agape, you know, agape your enemies, agape your neighbor. Yeah. So the, the, the love we show is no different. Right. And I think that's the and key, the right? And the reason we're showing the love is to show them that because they're waiting for a, you know, if, if they're waiting, they're wait, the Israelites really, I mean, even the the... the Disciples were like, "Let's call fire down." Yeah, you know they're looking for that zap me God, and that's that's what everybody thinks about. God. Well, and and that's what I was going to say. I think I think maybe to our detriment as a church, sometimes we major in the distinction and minor in the in the love, right? Mm -hmm. So that what what ends up happening is there's this massive us them kind of schism that happens that's, between that's us and it today. prevents us then from being able to build a bridge to these people who we're trying to reach with the gospel but we've made such a distinction between us and them 
that that we've made them our our our, our enemy, right? That we've made them somebody that we we're not supposed to to associate with. I, I can't I can't go and I can't be seen with that person. Like they're 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 for you know they they vote for baby killers, you know. And I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's well, and it goes both ways. Uh, you know, just this week, um, I went to the prayer meeting and they were talking about. Um, Judge Newby, who's the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court in North Carolina, he's a Republican. But um, uh, in Durham, the, the judges that are get together and they pray, well, most of the judges in Durham are Democrats. Mm-hmm. But they're Christians. I know some of them. And uh, they get together and pray, and some of our people go pray with them. Well, he's wanting to create these prayer groups all over the state and try to get judges and people praying for judges all over the state. And so um, one of the ladies was telling me that afterwards... One of the uh, her friends got onto the judge like, "What are you even doing? Doing anything with him? <laughs> because he's Republican and they're Democrat, mm-hmm. you know. And but they're both Christians, mm-hmm. and so so that us against them. And if you think about the the way the the Jewish system worked too, it, it was a theology uh, theocracy they're trying to develop there. So it's a political thing too. These Pharisees and all they were political parties as well as anything else." And Not so, much has changed. <laughs> so yeah. So if, so when I say who is my neighbor, you know, it, it creates a way that I'm trying to pick and choose who I want to relate to. But anybody else, I'm in this. Um, no, nah, they're, they're my enemy, and I've got to avoid them and shun them because I can't be seen with them right. because I'm a Christian. What if, what if somebody sees me with this person right here, knowing that this person is some kind of Maybe maybe they're you know I don't I don't know play, like playing golf with somebody mm-hmm. you know um, I don't ask people I don't like discriminate and say hey I'm a Christian and a pastor so if you play with me you got no I just <laughs> let people be themselves mm-hmm. and I avoid trying to tell them who I am to the very last second if possible yeah. because I want them I want to treat them like regular people and then I want them to see me as a regular person right. because if they don't then then we can't ever have a line of communication so that goes back to that us against them. I think that's part of the problem in the church. When you add politics to the situation, it just and it creates this, situation. this opposite polar enemy situation that no matter what you did, like let's say if you wanted to help refugees, mm-hmm. like we did one time, mm-hmm. getting coats for kids. Right. We, we caught, you know, flack from people from a political point of view that yeah. they shouldn't even be here to begin with. Like, yeah. But the scripture says, you just read it, they're here. So what, what is our thing we're supposed to do? We're supposed to try to help them if we can. That's right. It has nothing to do with the political part of it. Just throw that out the window. That's yeah. a battle to fight somewhere else. Let's just take care of it. And bottom line, too, I mean, it's grounded in creation, but we're all image bearers. Sure. You know, we're all, we've all been created in the image of God. Yeah. You know, we all have some likeness of God in right. us. And that's something that can be celebrated among every human. Right. One For the, some humans, it might be the only thing you can celebrate, but still, you know. One, one it, of the, it seems to me, uh, it's very clear to me that Jesus, at least in the parable that he tells Jeremiah, leaves no room for the kind of distinct majoring in these kind of distinctions. Because he talks about in this parable, and we're, we're, we're familiar with it. You said, I think you mentioned in your, in your sermon that, that even in the secular world, they know about the Good Samaritan. There, there are Good Samaritan laws that are, that are in place. Um, and that that's derived from this. So even if they don't know where it's derived, they've heard of the term Good Samaritan. And a lot of people probably don't realize the, the implications of what Jesus was trying to say here was that 
It wasn't the, relig the religious people, the people who were distinguished, were set apart as God's special people. They're the ones who were, um, who walked to the other side. And it's interesting to me, they walked to the other side because they wanted to keep them, probably because they wanted to keep themselves ceremonially clean, right? I want to keep myself ceremonially clean so that I can worship, so that I can go into the temple. Because if I go and mess with this Samaritan, this Gentile who's bloody and beat up, that's going to make me unclean. Right. We don't know who the man is. Oh, He's I'm sorry. That's man. right. That's right. My bad. My bad. But if I go mess with this guy, yes. this guy's been beat up. He's bloody anyway, right? And I touch him. That's going to make me unclean. Yeah, because if he's a dead body and all that, he's unclean. Right, right, Just right. Blood, yeah. I, I'm going to become unclean, and it's going to keep me from doing what I want to do, which is going to the temple, right? And and Jesus makes, I mean, I think Jesus makes it pretty clear here that these guys are in the wrong for, for doing what they did. Even though they were probably doing it for worship reasons, he says it's wrong. Um, is, is that kind of striking? To you, I mean, like what? what um, because you would think that um, maybe conventional wisdom. We talked about conventional wisdom last week. Maybe conventional wisdom would say, "Do everything you can to make sure that you can worship God the best way you can." Right? And and and, and so keep yourself clean, keep yourself pure, keep yourself away from anything that might possibly defile you, um, and set yourself so, solely apart so that. So that you can worship, um, but what's wrong with that mentality when 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 it encounters somebody who needs help or who is in a dire situation? It's the same problem we all face, and I think it's a problem with their focus being too much on the outside, too much on appearance, too much on making sure my clothes are clean, my hands are clean. Uh, uh, I have a great reputation when I walk in the building and not enough on the heart of the issue, which is is knowing that you can't cleanse yourself. No matter how good the outside looks, you, you can't cleanse yourself. And uh, they just they weren't trusting in, in Christ, They're trusting in God to cleanse them. Uh, they thought that if they followed the, the letter of the law and, and made sure they were clean when they made, made it to worship and made it to the temple that they were they were cleansed they were good they were good to go and they didn't focus on the inside and uh i'm not dodging your specific questions but i'm i'm waiting till uh, i guess we get to the second point or last half of this to mm -hmm. to kind of give some commentary on what i think is happening here uh so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna push over to uh blake and stop talking <laughs> <laughs> well we're nearly done with this first yeah. point anyway so let's 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 kind of jump on over because we, we've kind of hit on, on, on what Jesus is getting at here with this first point. The guy's obviously trying to attempt to justify himself, uh -huh. justify his inaction and in loving his neighbor and say, and, and Jesus is clearly saying, you're doing what the what this what these other two men were doing and walking by walking on the other side, treating people uh, differently, making it an us them thing. Avoiding it. Right. So Jesus obviously gives this example mm -hmm. in the story of uh as the story progresses he gives the example of a, a certain samaritan as he journeyed came where he came where this where this god gotten beaten up he sees him and has compassion and this is the first time we've heard of anybody actually having compassion and i think that's key there by the way so he goes to him 
his compassion, his feelings are not enough. I mean, he could have just had compassion, mm-hmm. but his compassion leads to action. And his actions are he goes and bandages his wounds. He takes care of his immediate need. Uh, he pours on oil and wine, which would have helped to disinfect any of those wounds. So that's going to take care of some of his future needs, right? Puts him on his own animal and brings him to an inn and takes care of him. And one of the things that strikes me so much about the story every time I read it is this next part. On the next day when he departed, he takes out two denarii and he gives them not to the man, but to the innkeeper and says to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. What that tells me is this guy wasn't, this guy left that guy, made sure he was okay. Didn't stay around to get praise from that guy. Didn't stay, he wasn't doing it to get thank yous from this man. He literally leaves and says, hey, look, you know, he doesn't let his right hand know what his left hand's doing, right? He's not out there telling people about this. He's just, he goes and he makes sure that this dude's needs are taken care of. And then he leaves. He leaves. Um, You know, that. He could have. He could have said, "Okay, I've done this for you. Now you owe me a favor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've shown you compassion. I need you to do something for me, or um, now you're indebted to me, or I'm lonely. Come and join me, right? He could have done all those things, but he doesn't. He simply takes care of the needs that he sees there, and makes sure that this guy's going to be well taken care of, and then he leaves. He leaves the scene, not looking for any praise, not looking for anything." Um, not not asking for anybody to applaud him. He's not, you know, we don't see him parading about saying, look what I did for this guy. He just does what needs to be done and, and gets out. And then Jesus, of course, says to, to, to the, the, the lawyer, so which of these three do you think was neighbor? Which one was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And Jesus' question, you said it, Jeff, exhorts us to be active in loving our neighbor. If the first question, who is my neighbor, um, is, attempt, is us attempting to justify our inaction, the question, which one was a neighbor, sort of exhorts us or encourages us to be active in loving our neighbor. Which one of these was neighbor? And um, so, so okay, so now here we are. And, and I'll, I'll come back to you now, Jeremiah, because you said you won't wait to get to the second point here. Yeah. Um, so back to my question before. And... and I'll add to this because I, I think this is important. Um, is Jesus here actually, you, and you can answer this if you like, or you can go ahead and talk about what you want to talk about. That's fine. But I'm going to throw it to the table. Is Jesus here saying, can we, can we, can we take from this that um, compassion or mercy or um, love is more important than worship or at least should be a part of worship do you get what i'm saying yeah because if these guys if these if this priest and this levite who are are all involved in worship i mean they they were be involved in 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 making sure that temple worship was done correctly so these guys are worshipers and presumably they don't want to mess with it they want to get their hands dirty so they go to the other side so that they can worship but they're in the wrong because they didn't stop and have compassion didn't stop and act compassionately um jesus says they weren't loving their neighbor because they weren't being a neighbor to mm-hmm. this to this to this man who fell among the thieves um so is being a neighbor part of good worship and should it supersede some aspects of worship 
Yeah, so I'll answer that question specifically. I think that if your worship, if your type of worship leads you to not be compassionate or leads you to ignore situations, uh, then that's not true worship. Ignore showing someone compassion. What I mean is, is if your worship is more about I've got to get to a place and I got to get I got to be clean when I get there. That's not true worship. If your worship doesn't lead you to compassion and lead you to mercy, then you're not worshiping the correct thing. Mm. You see what I'm saying? I think so. Because I think I think we see that these priests and this Levite are are on their way to worship. They're more pious because they 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 ignored everything. They they gave up everything to make sure they made it to the temple clean and in the right way. And I'm like, but what are they really worshiping? What are they really trying to accomplish mm-hmm. with their worship? If their worship doesn't lead them to compassion and lead them to mercy. And sometimes I think that means that because you're helping someone else, you miss church. And that's okay. <laughs> like that is okay. As long as I guess it's not an outward appearance thing or you're not trying to justify yourself or trying to use excuses. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll, I'll stop talking and hopefully someone else can. <laughs> I think, yeah. Um, yeah, I think Jeremiah hit the nail on the head. You know, the true worship should uh, uh, take form in ways like that. And, like, um, helping your neighbor is a form of worship. You know, we're, you know, everybody worships something. It's not a matter of if we worship. It's a matter of, like, what and who we worship. And here what Jesus is getting at is true worship of God will uh, overflow in your loving of neighbor. And... Um, when true overflow of loving of neighbor, you know, you, your own, like your own mission, like you look for opportunities to worship, you know, and bring that glory back to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and if, if the command was just to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and that was it. I mean, if that, if that was like, this is it. This is all you have to do. This is the thing. Then yeah, these two guys would be heroes in this story. Well, because would, would they know? Like, well, because they're, you know, I'm, I'm going to focus totally on God, and it's just me and God, which is what most Eastern religion and all kind right. of, where I'm doing this work, I'm somehow another, something, part of me is creating this opportunity for me then to worship God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So then they leave out the whole horizontal, the rest of it, the right. horizontal relationships, which are the messy ones, which are mm-hmm. the ones that, that, that that can get you uh, in situations where, okay, what am I going to do? And so by avoiding and ignoring them, in their mind, they thought they were right. They really did. I mean, the, the people that separate, the people that, uh, uh, you know, the Pharisees and all, by, by the clothes they wore and all, they thought in, in their mind they were attaining some kind of salvation or some kind of relationship with God that was, that was important. And then the common people were like, well, we, ne- we can never be like those guys. Remember, mm-hmm. Jesus kept saying, unless you're righteous, it exceeds even those guys. And so he, it's still the whole creation, the whole part of it is that we can't do this. It's impossible. Yeah. But with God in us, the Holy Spirit, he allows us to. Then that takes me off the hook then. Let's say, for example, um, and this happened to me before. Uh, I'm, I'm here early. I'm getting ready for the service. And I get a phone call or I get a knock on the door or I get mm-hmm. somebody's like, dude, 
can't you see I'm here trying to I'm trying to get my stuff together because I got an important thing to do mm-hmm. I really hope don't have time for you mm-hmm. but you have to stop and say okay I'll be able to help you but if you stay and come to worship and everything right I'll be free to help you right um, so you're not really you know cutting them off but you're just trying to because the, the problem is we all do it I mean we all do it yeah and sometimes we don't want to get involved um, because of everything that happens I mean to go back to our coat thing a lot of people just they knew it was a good idea and it's a great thing I mean we even had like the Civitan Club and other people in the community help but a lot of the church was like I just can't get involved with that because if I do then my friend group and my peer group are going to say hey you know th- these guys are doing something liberal up there right and and so we have to get out of that whole mindset of this whole um, our motivation always not to do things right but to be the I think I said it's, it's about being not about doing mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm being a neighbor then obviously I'm gonna do things that are neighborly because mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't work any other way yeah and so um, so we can't forget about we can't do all just God stuff and we can't do just all service and that stuff and neglect God because that's what Martha's problem was right and she wouldn't spend time you know the good part that Mary was so it's a balance of life and uh, now do we stop at every person that comes our way and every little person with a sign up says feed me I'm hungry or everybody that comes in our door no we don't we right. have to be discriminating too and sure and understanding you know uh, how we can help someone because sometimes to be a good neighbor is not necessarily like you were saying he got to give money to the man yeah he gave money to the innkeeper yeah yeah so we have to be very um, wise about how we deal with people mm. and help them um, because we don't really want to enable a situation right right no that's a, that's a good point I want to go to a, another like a, something you hit on a minute ago and, and, I, and I question and I'll ask this is it possible to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and not love your neighbor as yourself. Can can you can you do one without doing the other? So, this is this is a hard question to answer, and here's why: because we're Christians, and because we've read the Bible, it's in it's stupid hard for us to try to separate the two. Mm-hmm. Because. I believe when when Jesus gives the first and second commandment, he does it intentionally to show that if you are really going to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it 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 requires this horizontal mm-hmm. love. And and I've told my students a lot, and maybe I haven't said it enough, but um, Christianity is really all about two rules, one job, and you can't accomplish the one job without loving your neighbor and that one job is the great commission and so what i believe is that in order to really love god with all your heart soul mind and strength so like we say what's the chief end of man to bring glory to god Mm -hmm. but how do you bring glory to god right oh i know it's it's by worshiping him by praying and, and, and telling him how awesome he is yeah but no, I mean, the primary way in which he says you glorify me is by telling others, loving others. Right. And, and it, it manifests itself by loving others. So mm-hmm. you can't accomplish the one without doing the other. Right. You can try, I guess. And, and I think that's what Jeff was getting. I think the Pharisees and, yeah. and, and, and even the Eastern religion, they try to do just that, right? They try to 
only love, only focus on the vertical. But I, I agree. I think it's. I think there's a reason why when Jesus asked what the greatest commandment was, he gave two instead of just yeah. one. Because I think what he was doing was giving one commandment with two aspects. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, this little sermon series kind of was, was kind of organic happened anyway. It's, it's, you know, it happened from that, that VBS thing about uh, being that forever friend, loving, loving yeah. one another. And so I'm like, okay, well, what, what's the next one? Okay, the love your enemy one and then love your neighbor. And then finally, we're going to get to the gist of the matter, which is the first one, and that's going to be coming this coming Sunday, about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it's almost like you, I did it backwards, but it really makes sense to do that, you know, based on what Jeremiah says, because we as Christians, we maybe overlook, like, oh, I got that part right, but I'm over here doing all this stuff, and and so I can pick well, and choose if I want to do that or not. So so the whole. Heart, soul, mind, and strength is your whole being, and we're yeah. going to look at that this coming Sunday. So I think, I think, I think the problem with that is, is that sometimes we as Christians want to treat these things as two different commands. That okay, I've got this one yeah. covered, and I need to work on this yeah. one. Whereas I think that they're one and the same. That literally, I can't agape my neighbor as I agape myself without loving God, because it's impossible to do so. Yeah. Um, I it, likewise, I can't please God, love God without doing His will, without doing right. the things that He right. would want done. What does He want done? He wants me to go love my neighbor as myself. And, and, so, and what is like godly like, love? It's sacrificial, right? It's unconditional. It's non-reciprocal love. It's like you just do it, and that's. And when you look at this passage, you know everybody wants to see themselves in the passage, but we're really we're all the the guy on the road. Yeah, we're all the guy. We're the ones that need it, and so Christ sends the greater good Samaritan that gives it to us. He gets us where we need to be, and now let's go and do do the same. Mm-hmm. This is what he tells the guy: just go do it. Right. And um, so, so you know, you can't separate them. And this coming Sunday, we're going to talk about that how we kind of compartmentalize, and we even compartmentalize heart, mind, soul, and strength. Right. And so it's mm-hmm. just we've have it's, it's, we can't do it, but we have to do it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and of course, um, Jeremiah is fond, Blake, of, of saying um, that everything in the Bible points points back to Christ, points back to Jesus. Absolutely. I think even this parable points to Jesus. Yeah. I think Jesus is the greater neighbor, right? Jesus is, um, is in, in, in this instance, he, he is the role of the Samaritan in, in, the, in the parable that the, this this parable is meant to point us to Jesus, because in in the end, and I guess you're going to talk. We're going to talk about this more next week, I'm sure. In the end, we can't even do that. We we're not able to be the neighbor we need to be, apart from the greater neighbor. Yeah, yeah, and I I've actually never heard it put that Jesus is the greater neighbor. So I like that I like that terminology a lot. Thank you for that. But yeah, I mean he's, I mean he. He's, he did the greatest act of agape love ever by going and dying for us, mm-hmm. you know, and that was not, and we were his enemies. You know, you take a look at Ephesians 2. I mean, we were literally followers of the devil, according mm-hmm. to Ephesians 2. Mm-hmm. He went and died for followers of the devil, yeah. which includes all four of us and you listening to this prior <laughs> to Christ. Right. But um, 
but in verse four it says, "But God, with His rich in mercy, you know," and it goes on to say pretty much how He redeems us, mm-hmm. and that it, it He is the greater neighbor. Yeah, He is the greater neighbor. So I like I like that terminology. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, to go back to that, what Jesus says about the Samaritan is that He had He sees the need, has compassion, which is what Christ did for us, mm. but He didn't just have compassion on us. But he did something about our need and he touched him. Right, he, he bandaged him. Right, he paid sacrificially. Gave right. more than what he should have. I mean, just like you said, just having compassion and just going over there and maybe giving him some water and taking care of him, and then going about your way. A lot of people would have been fine with that. Yeah, you know. But um, you know, he went the extra mile to show us that. Yeah, uh, it's not about me deciding. Who is my neighbor? It's me saying, in a situation I'm facing, can I be a neighbor or will I be a neighbor? Yeah, and I said, that's what I was wanting to, to get at earlier. The two questions blow my mind because, and I love how Jesus does parables. He does this on purpose to grip you in. The guy asks, who's my neighbor? Jesus starts with a story, <laughs> starts with a priest, and the dude's like, oh, of course that's my neighbor. Yeah. Right. Starts with a Levi, oh, of course that's my neighbor. Hits the Samaritans like, oh, we finally hit a guy who's not my neighbor. Right. And then Jesus is like, it's not about who your neighbor is. It's about you're the neighbor. Yes. Right. You are supposed you to are be the, the neighbor. neighbor. Right. Be one. And so Jesus doesn't answer his question. Right. Jesus answers the greater question and mm-hmm. says that if, if you're looking for externally who the neighbor is, it's not about... I'm supposed to go to this type of person or I, I only need to eat. I mean, because sometimes in the church, we only try to focus on those who aren't in aren't in the fold yet or aren't mm. Christians, right? That's the neighbor we're looking for. And Jesus is like, no, the neighbor is you. Right. You are supposed to be the neighbor. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and this guy who's wanting to be self-righteous, and a lot of times for, for Jews, that means that they're righteous because they're Jewish. Uh, so... When he hears that the Samaritan is the one who's being the neighbor, he's like, well, obviously he's not self-righteous because he's not Jewish. Mm-hmm. He couldn't be self-righteous. Well, and he wouldn't even say Samaritan either. Well, yeah, you, you pointed he, that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't even mention his name. Yeah. yeah. And so at the end, he's or like, who, who was, Jesus is like, who was the neighbor? Yeah. And he couldn't say priest. He couldn't say Levite. He, he didn't even really say Samaritan, like you said. But Jesus' whole point was, you're supposed to be the neighbor. It's not about out there who you're, you're looking right. for the neighbor. It's I'm supposed to be the That's neighbor. That's why these right. two questions are so awesome because yeah. it focuses in, like you said, on the whole thing. That Jesus like, okay, you want me to answer that? Okay. And then he realizes, oh. It's why we still have problems defining who is the neighbor. Yeah, right. And a lot them. of sermons focus right there on who is the neighbor. And, we go about, and it's like... You can't really define that. The neighbor is us. We're supposed yeah. to be the neighbor. And reflect the greater not them, neighbor. them. Not my next right. door reflect neighbor. reflect the greater neighbor. That's yeah. right. That's exactly right. Well, and then also, you know, it goes back, you know, I talked about what happened to me at the gas station, you know. I mean, in, in just a real world situation, if I'm hanging out with my friends, the church people, and all the people I'm kind of connected with and know, I mean, most people look like me. Most people have the same type of background. You know, same kind of economic, same color, same kind of interest, stuff like that. You know, I, I wouldn't really look for, like, an Indian guy to be my neighbor. 
you know, if I'm the one choosing who's my neighbor, I'm mm-hmm. looking for people like me that I got something in common with. But when you ask, when, but when you turn it around, then uh, whoever comes into my pathway, regardless of what they look like, or where they come from, and all, I get that opportunity then to be that neighbor to, mm-hmm. and to try to at least get to know them, things like that. Um, so, it's, so it really changes everything, really. And so, if I if I was like just say a stranger, I probably wouldn't have asked the guy at the gas station that's you know an Indian or Asian uh, looking person for help because. I maybe would look for somebody more like me, like, hey, man, I, I, need, I, need, a, I need some help. Would you give me a ride? Yeah. If I was just like a total, complete stranger, and I didn't know who to turn to, and that's kind of then that's kind of what happened to me. I'm like, I'm a stranger in my own city now because I don't have all my means of communication and all my contacts are gone. Who am I going to turn to? Mm-hmm. And because uh, I had a relationship with this guy, and we were friends and everything, you know, we're not like going out and playing golf and hanging out and stuff like that. But we just know each other just by your your life. Yeah. Then that was somebody I could turn to. And he, he in turn, was a neighbor to me. Mm. And then I did the old American thing. I tried to pay it back or reciprocate and all that stuff. <laughs> but he was just wanting to be a neighbor to me. Well, as a good neighbor, you, you, yeah. should, you should try to seek to, to pay it back. Yeah, you're but I knew, you're yeah, but I knew that's not neighbor. what he wanted. Yeah. Uh, that's not why he did it. And that's the whole point here is the guy, we don't do this stuff for self-gratification or, for or, good, or because the law says you have to be a good Samaritan. Right. We do it because, hey, I, I need to do that. Well, and we do it because we're compelled to by the example of Christ. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, as Christians, that, that should be our, our, our motivation. We look at Jesus again as that greater neighbor and say, oh, yeah, this is what he did and this is what I should do as well. So... Great discussion today, guys. Um, so next week, we've already kind of hinted at it, but it looks like we're going to be looking at the first part of, of uh, that Shema, right? The yeah, and we're going to look at the Great Commandment. Uh, in Mark chapter 12, 28 through 34, is it's kind of connected to this passage, but it's different. And so we're going to use that one because it's the same kind of question, the same same uh, gist. And so now we're going to get back to the whole, all right, let's, let's look at the first, the first command. So we're going to be looking at loving your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All right. Awesome. That'll be a great discussion. Hope you'll tune in for that one as well. Thanks for tuning into this one. I hope it's been, I hope you've enjoyed it, gotten something out of it. Uh, You know, as always, I encourage you that if you enjoy these podcasts, if you, uh, if you like what you hear, if you want to hear uh, more of this and you, you have ideas for content that you'd like for us to discuss questions you have about things we discuss in this podcast, Feel free to email us. You can catch us here at ROSBC Pastors, it's plural, at gmail.com. ROSBC Pastors at gmail.com. Oh, and that might be Matthew 22, 34 <laughs> through 40. I'm not which one it is, but it's one of those two. It's Matthew. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, with that correction, we'll close this podcast out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in the next one. So long.